Hello and welcome to the Undead Wookiee Podcast, episode 96, William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist, part three. We're back. <laughs> Hello. We've, it's been a while. Missed you all. Um, now, I know it's been a little while and we haven't been able to get episodes out to you and I'm not going to yabber on too much because I hate it when uh, we have to get all like the admin show bits uh, done and out the way. We want to get right into this episode and I'm really excited to share it with you because we recorded it a while ago now and I've been desperate to get it out. But we've got a number of projects on the go at the moment. So I've been finishing up my new short film and getting prepared to go back round uh, and start work again on School Hall Slaughter very soon. Also, I have started a new radio show. That's right, live. So no effing and jeffing like I normally do. But you've got me live on Vitalize Radio every Monday night. Um, all you got to do is say to Alexa, Alexa, play Vitalize Radio. And on Monday night, from 8 till 10, I will be playing music from film. Um, so you'll get classic tracks and you'll get wonderful orchestral pieces as well with that. And of course, the usual bit of nerdiness thrown in. So the show is now going to be switching over to a monthly episode. And the reason why we're going to be doing this is, like I said, we've got so much on the go at the moment. And I want to make sure that I can regularly get quality out to you guys and we're not scrambling around for things so the last weekend of every month is when we will now be dropping our episodes so without further ado let's check out the trailer for the exorcist part three (laughs) 17 years ago an extraordinary motion picture touched our most profound Nameless fears. Do you dare walk these steps again? Death be not proud, nor canst thou kill me. Satan grows stronger. You believe in possession, Father? He has found a haven. Come to take a little blood from you, Father. He has taken possession. The boy had been crucified. His web widens. I've just never seen anything like this in 20 years. Inside this cell... The killer drove an ingot into each of his eyes and cut off his head. Inside a man... Who are you? I am no one. A man we thought had died... 17 years ago. He is inside with us! He will never get away! This time you're going to lose. The real terror is back. George C. Scott in William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist 3. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. And I am joined by the one, the only, the mighty, Mr. Darren Hall. How the devil are you, sir? It's a wonderful life, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> and what's your favourite film, by the way? Oh, well, we'll find out. 
How no. are you doing? Are you good? I'm all good. I'm all good, man. All good. Uh, crazy town at the minute, but we're getting there slowly. So, um, and I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this film. Yeah, me too. Because, like we were saying just before we, we kicked off, the word underrated and overlooked, and I'm as guilty as anybody um, for banding these words around. Um, but actually, I think, the it, it you know, for this film, that really is the case. Oh, absolutely. This wasn't even on my radar. It's not on, on my... Uh, extensive watch list that I'll probably not live long enough to fulfill. Uh, this film didn't even feature. Um, when you mentioned covering it, I was like, you know, my, my head went straight to the original. Yeah. Which uh, scared the life out of me, like many people when they were too young to watch it. <laughs> um, and I was just like, no idea what to expect. I had absolutely no kind of prior inkling to what this film was even about it was just like i was just you know i want to i want to chat to Hugh about this film so i'll just watch it see you know see what happens it's um so yeah go on no carry on yeah i was just going to say yeah but yeah underrated overlooked it it's you know it's what they should have put on the uh on the arrow dvd cover yeah, absolutely yeah. absolutely i mean we are talking 1990s. I can't believe it's 1990 though. That's just in, that that just blows my mind that it's that. Um, but yeah. we're talking 1990s, The Exorcist, three, um, and I I've got sort of very very strong memories of this film coming out. Um, when you know Sky first launched in the UK. They used to have um, the UK top 10 box office and the US top 10 box office playing in between films. So you get like mm. a countdown chart. Can you remember that? Yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. And I remember seeing the trailer for this and seeing the stairs and hearing tubular bells and sort of seeing Jason Miller's eyes with the red eyes and the contacts in, and just thinking, oh my God, this is fucking terrifying, but it looks brilliant and I must see it. And then I kind of forgot about it. And, yeah. you know, it, you know, and I mean, I've got a lifelong obsession with The Exorcist. Um, and I think it took me till I was about 14, 15, really, to catch up with this one. Um, and I just loved it. Absolutely loved it. But for whatever reason, you kind of like park it in the back of your brain and then you sort of come, you, you rediscover it and it's just it's just a phenomenal film it's just a wonderful film it really is it really and i was i was so shocked by it um i said to you earlier like i've just been hooked since watching it so i watched it earlier in the week and since then i've been reading about it i've been reading you know uh Reviews that came out at the time, reviews that came out when Shoutcast re-released it with the director's cut as well as the theatrical. Yeah. Just I've just been all over it. You know, I've been looking into uh, some of the actors that I was less familiar with. It's just one of those, sometimes you watch a film and you're like, I need to know more. You know, you start 
you're like Johnny Five, aren't you? You're, yeah. You want more input. It's <laughs> input, like input, input, input. Give it to me. <laughs> give it to me. Um, and I've just been, yeah. It's just captured my um, my interest massively. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for those people out there who aren't, I don't. You know, put it this way: you're gonna get spoilers. So, you know, this came out in 1990. So you've you've been warned, okay? Um, this, of course, is the third in the Exorcist uh, series of films. Um, of course, the Exorcist came out in 1973, um, and I'm contractually obliged to say it's the greatest film of all time. Fuck you, Citizen Kane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was then followed up by um, the Exorcist Two. The Heretic, or as mm. uh, William Friedkin renamed it, the Hairy Tick, um, <laughs> and then, or as um, as Blatty names it, the film that never ever should have happened. No, uh, let's never talk about it again. I mean, Exorcist Two. I, I and I got to be honest. I is it the first one? No, but then there are not many things. I, the, the things that will ever come close to being the Exorcist. And The Exorcist 2 is like, it's a car crash for so many reasons. But on paper, The Exorcist 2 should have been a decent film. It had John Borman directing. It had Ennio Morricone doing the score. It had Richard Burton. You had Linda Blair back. And they still managed to fuck it up. <laughs> To the point where you spend, you know, Richard Burton looks confused um, yep. and barely sober. Uh, um, <laughs> and it's just a strange, strange movie. It's got a phenomenal score, mind you. It's got a phenomenal... Oh. Ennio Morricone's uh, score is just breathtaking. I love it. Um, and there are moments in Exorcist 2 that actually you think, oh, I get it. I get it. But then you, it it just it's just not a good film. Yeah. <laughs> but then we come to this. Um, yeah. And, of course, this is based off um, William Peter Blatty's book, Legion, which yeah. is a great book. It's, it's, it's a yeah. brilliant book. Um, and what, what I like is that, because uh, Blatt is the director, isn't he, on this? Yes. It's writer-director. I think he was involved in other other roles as well. And one thing that kind of smacks you around the head when the film is opening is um, you've got uh, William Blatty's Exorcist Three on the title card. Yes. You know, it's right there. And then sh- shortly after that, it says, based on the novel Legion. Yeah. And under Legion... It's underlined. It's like Legion. Yes. Don't forget. Yeah. Do not forget that this is based on this novel. Well, he originally wanted this film to be called Legion. Yeah. Um, which would have made, I think, in some ways, would have made more sense if they had called it Legion. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, and you know, there's of course the theatrical release, and you know, on the Arrow, and I think it's the Screen Factory. Um, blu-ray there's also the director's cut um yeah. of it as well um well, i mean he he wrote legion didn't he in kind of retaliation of exodus 2 yes he did yeah um i think it it offended him that greatly um 
that he he felt he had to do it. Um, yeah. But what's really interesting about the Legion um, is I think it, like with all really great books and really great writers, you can read it in multiple. You you get multiple different views on it right. each time you read it. And for me, I think it's a brilliant. It's a really, really interesting study in melancholy. Um, and the idea of faith and about how faith is lost and what does it take to regain faith. Um, it's really, really interesting. And I mean, that you know, some of that seeps through into the, into the Exorcist 3 as well. Yeah, um, yeah. But it's, you know, tonally... Um, it's very, very different from The Exorcist. Yeah, I think it's the faith. Uh, you've got Kinderman, uh, who's the brilliant George C. Scott, yes. who has lost his faith. He's, yeah. he's lost all faith. Um, yeah. And it, it, he really doesn't want that to be the case. And yeah. you've got his, his, his good friend, Father Dyer, yeah. who is holding on to his faith with kind of it's a blind leap isn't it he's he's like there's 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 no way i'm turning my back on it but no. he's definitely tired he's yeah. definitely burnt out um and it's kind of it's the yin and the yang of the of that partnership isn't it it's the oh, it's absolutely. one of the reasons that the friendship works yeah because i think kinderman is is kind of stays in touch with diet because of these theological conversations that they can have. Yeah. He, do you know what I mean? It's it's the final, I think it's like the, the one thing that's just stopping him falling all the way. Yeah. Well, he, you know, and he talks about that, doesn't he? You know, Kinderman talks about his dream of falling. Yeah. And in the dreams, it's him falling down the staircase. And it's that sort of, you know, it's all it's that sort of idea of falling. It's quite Nietzsche, quite 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 sort of Nietzsche in it, in that idea of staring into the abyss and the abyss staring back, um, and falling yeah. into the darkness. And I think you know, and like the idea that faith represents the light for them. You know that he's it wouldn't take a lot to tip him over into the darkness and be consumed by it. Whereas like. Yeah. Father Dyer, like he says, you know, you know, regardless of anything else, death is just, you know, it's not the end. It's, you know, it's it's this kind of the beginning, and that. What I love is like their their entire relationship is based around needling each other. Yeah, yeah, and they are so completely different, you know, and the fact that they both say about how the, on the day that sort of you know and the anniversary of the events of the, you know the climatic events of the exorcist that one of them says oh well you know i go and keep my friend company because he gets down on this uh this time of yeah. the year they both say the same thing so they both need each other as much as each other you know but even though they're total polar opposites like you said you know? yeah yeah it's um and i think this it really it it really kind of highlights Blatty as a as a writer. Oh yeah. Um, the attention to detail on dialogue in this film is just you know only 
a director that is the writer would allow that kind of the, the luxury that this film has when it comes to dialogue and, and time for dialogue yeah is yeah. afforded to, throughout this film oh god yeah yeah absolutely well in you know if you think about it in so many ways the and what's really interesting is that people always talk about film being a visual medium but actually when it comes to the the deaths in this film and the murders and the the idea of gore that's always left down to the imagination but also we get the characters describing what happens yeah in the, great the descriptions, detail yeah the descriptions are ultra you know descriptive yes um but but also this what i like about it is there is time for you to conjure your own idea. It so it's like you get a little, yeah, you get a little inkling of what's happened to start with. Then there's a period of time passes and then you get the confirmation. Yeah. And the confirmation is always miles worse than you could conjure up in your own head. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, and like, you know, that op- the, even the opening to this film, the op- you know the, the opening credits where it, and strangely enough this is the only exorcist sequel to use tubular bells um yeah. oh, okay when you get the, the shot of the church and the wind yeah. you know and the wind and the eyes on the statue opening and then we get the stakes and we get the smoke and you get all you know there's not a it's it's just it's just the imagery it's just yeah. the imagery and then we get the contrast then of the characters' dialogue. And you've got, in this, you've got a tremendous list of character actors. Just oh. brilliant character actors. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, we're you know we're, we're already in. This was directed by William Peter Blatty <laughs> uh, and from a screenplay based on his book, uh, Legion. It stars the incredible... George uh, C. Scott, uh, who plays uh, Lieutenant Kinderman. Um, you've got Ed Flanders as uh, Joseph Dyer. Great character actor. Just just brilliant. Yeah. You get Jason Miller, uh, who is down in the credits as Patient X, but, uh, um, of course, reprising his role as Damien Carris. Uh, you've yeah. got Scott Wilson, Brad Dourif, who is phenomenal. <laughs> in this yes, he is. just phenomenal um you got uh grand l bush um as sergeant atkins you got uh nickel williamson as father uh, father morning um yeah. and again there's a connection for you of course um nickel williamson famously played merlin in john yes. borman's bonkers excalibur um Brilliant performance in that. Yes, I knew. I, that's why I knew I recognised him from somewhere, but I couldn't make the connection. Yeah, and uh, um, and I couldn't. I kept thinking, "Isn't he the guy out of bottom?" Yeah. But no, it's not. <laughs> the um, the other thing as well, it's. I think it's fair to say, this is a film of some fairly impressive cameos. Yes. Um, Samuel L. Jackson pops up as the blind man in the dream sequence. Yeah, he does. Along with Patrick Ewing. 
yeah. uh, pops up. C. Everett Coop pops up. And of course, yeah. Fabio, the f- famous long haired male model, pops up <laughs> yeah. as one of the angels. Um, all, those, all those angels are uh, very, very handsome. Yes. And Larry um, King. Larry King, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I love that. See, that, that cameo dedication was all about making the scenes, give the scenes life. Yeah, that, absolutely. I mean, that cafe scene. Oh, it's tremendous. Just, I mean, that is a that is a living, working cafe. Yes. You know, it looks so authentic. Yeah. It's an that is an absolute masterpiece of filmmaking. Just that scene alone. Yeah. Because you feel like you could just walk in there. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and I. And this whole film is beautifully shot. Oh, astoundingly! It is beautifully shot. And the attention to um, to detail, to you know, I bang on about it all the time. But the importance of, if you want to learn about maison scene, this is a brilliant way to learn about maison scene. Um, the idea that you know of seeing what is in the frame, you know, from yeah. the props, the costume, the lighting, the staging the camera angles, it's all there. It's all there. Yeah. And it's that William Blatty knows how to show flourishes, like in the cafe. Yeah. But then he also knows when to strip it all the way back to something like the, like, like the jump scare. Yeah. Uh, the... Yeah. And he, he also uses... Um, he uses visual imagery, um, a lot of almost still footage to tell a story. Yes. And it's really clever. It's really clever. So you have the scene early on with Father Dyer um, after he's given his mass for the day where he um, mentions uh, Father uh, Caracas. Caracas. Karras, sorry, yeah, Damien Karras. Um, and when, when he's in the back room, it's like dotting around, like you see, you linger on his bottle of scotch. Yeah. You linger on items around. And then much later on, when you're in the doctor's office, and you get that really slow panned shot over the overloaded ashtray, all the unread papers. Yeah. The honours, the honours on the wall, and then kind of, it's kind of like, um, it's like African artifacts, isn't it? Yeah, Pictures yeah. Um, um, and you've got all kinds of x-rays on the wall, and then it slowly comes over, and then he's got his, you know, arms folded. This is me. Yeah. The big doctor picture. Yeah. And it just tells a story before we meet the guy kind of officially. Yeah. And Absolutely. Superb. It's superb because you're already conjuring up a, a real understanding of who he is and kind of how close to the edge he is. Yeah. I mean, he's so unsettling. Yeah. It's so unsettling at times. And I mean, Scott Wilson as Dr. Temple. I mean, most people remember him from uh, The Walking Dead. Yeah. Um, 
But, oh, but, you know, he's just a tremendous character actor. Tremendous character actor. And he is just so creepy and so unset. The fact that, that he's lighting one cigarette with another. Yeah, yeah. Which is just, which is great, which is kind of grotesque in a number of ways. Yeah. You know, just seeing his somebody... demeanor. Yeah. And his posture, like he, you know, like arms folded is a, is a defensive posture. And he's walking around kind of like his hospital. He's senior member of this hospital. And he is literally hugging himself. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's unsettled. He's afraid of something. And he portrays that so well. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the fact, and then we get, you know, we, we get into the, like, when we get into, like, the monologues between George C. Scott and Brad Dourif. Um, and then he explains, you know, the demon is talking about, and like, the Gemini killer explains to him how he got him to do what he wanted and just sort of how weak-willed this person is. And yeah. it all it all starts fitting. It's just, it, it, it's it's brilliant character work. It's really, really good character work. Um, you know, I mean, in terms of plot for this one, um, this is set 15 years after the original events of The Exorcist. So you can forget the hairy tick. Forget it. Didn't exist. Move on. Never uh, happened. No, never happened. Um, and what we have is a the murder of a young boy, um, a young African-American boy, um, and Kinderman soon realizes that um, this could be the work of a executed serial killer um, yeah. who uh, goes by the name of the Gemini Killer. And very soon they realize that there's links to the original case, uh, Exorcist case from the first one. Um, but it's just it's so well done because it could have yeah. been, it could have been really heavy handed. It could have been really, it, really heavy-handed. It, it, and it's interesting because it, it, this is this is a sequel to The Exorcist. Yeah. And the focus that they give to Gemini Killer and that whole backstory and the, the kind of the richness of the performances mm. around that had me thinking, did I miss something from the original? And then Googling, like, the plot of The Exorcist to see where the Gemini killer fit in. (laughs) And then realizing that, no, Blatty didn't want this to be Exorcist 3. This is Legion. This is, do you know what I mean? And it's, you know, it's threaded throughout the whole story. But to just give it that kind of, so much, to give it so much, kind of volume yes for you to go whoa you know the gemini killer what you're hooked on it aren't you like yeah. what what have i missed what have i missed no you haven't missed anything they've just they've just filled a whole 15 year backstory yeah yeah and i mean brilliant the the i'm trying to think of the best way to describe this actually is the the fact that He's brave enough, William uh, William Peter Blatty, to do that, to jettison pretty much 
everything that's gone before it almost. And, you know, we've got a separate story. Um, yes, there's links to that one, but it's not the be-all and end-all to it. Is that actually... And like very much with the director's cut, if you jettison, um, and with the book itself, if you jettison lots of the, like particularly the the, the final exorcism from it, really yeah. what we've got here is a a police procedural with some supernatural elements to it. Yeah, you know that's that that's what we've got, and the the director's cut is very very much like that. Um, where we don't get as much Jason Miller, um, who it's really interesting and quite sad as well seeing Jason Miller on screen at this time, um, because he struggled massively, um, with alcoholism, yeah. and sadly, um, he it it had sort of it, it had ravaged him. Um, and he was having, ma there's a brilliant interview with Brad Dourif and he talks about how he just couldn't remember his lines um, anymore. He just could not remember yeah. them and they were just feeding him what, you know, like his lines and just, he was struggling and finding it hard and it was quite sad to sort of see that on set. But actually, yeah, the performance is really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't tell as... There's anything wrong with it at all, can you? It's, um, it fits so well into the whole. Yeah. It's so well, it's so well delivered as well. I, I, I had to double take and then rewind a bit when the uh, when he switched over. Yeah. The characters. Yeah. I was, I was like second guessing. I was like, that's not the same guy. Yeah. You know, the, you know is this like a bad episode of Dallas? <laughs> oh, expected. Do you know what I mean? We it just was all to take a dream. It. it was all a dream, and I, and it was so well done. Um, but you're right. This is um, without the exorcism. This is your police thriller, isn't it? Oh, your absolutely. Cop drama type. Yeah. Yeah. But with just some, apart from George C. Scott. Um, just some really bad police detectives. Yeah. yeah, some fairly useless. And in terms of preserving the crime scene, they're really mm. shit. Yeah. They're really so. shit. <laughs> um, the, um, the opening death, what's really interesting is we don't see any of these things. No. But the descriptions that we get of the head, of, of like the boy's head being removed and being replaced with like a statue's head and then when we see the the dream sequence and all the victims have got like stitches yeah. on their heads where their heads have been put back on is it's just at times this film does play out quite dreamlike yeah because the camera you know when the camera does move at times it almost floats yeah it has that very very sort of floaty feel to the camera movements um, I think what I like about it is there's um, there's a real consistency to the camera work in yeah. this film. So a lot of the speaking parts, um, it's very very close up, mm. like very, and it's kind of like it really keeps your attention. You know, 
they're not nothing fancy is happening with the camera. No. So if, if any of the scenes were, were, were we need to listen to the dialogue, the camera is right on the, All you can see is the head of the character. Yeah. And we are getting, you know, we're getting the dialogue. It's come, it's coming to us. And then whenever this, if this like, so when you've got Kinderman and the Gemini killer or patient X in the cell, it's as tight as it possibly can be when it wants to show both of them. Yeah. It's kind of, it's keeping everybody in frame yeah. at all times. But then get the long shots, like those beautifully shot long shots, like the hospital scene. Yeah. Um, and what I also noticed about this is, so George C. Scott is a huge bloke. Yes. And usually in movies, they try to disguise that sometimes to kind of somehow to give everybody like a, a leveling of size. Yeah. I'm looking at you, Tom Cruise. Um, <laughs> um, but with in this, the camera's actually a little bit below when George C. Scott is, is walking. It's a little, a little bit below, like kind of pointing upwards. So he looks fucking massive. Yeah, yeah. And they're, and they're accentuating his size and using it to great effect. And, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but that doesn't happen a lot. No, no. kind of technique. And there are a couple... This, when you talk about the consistency of shots in this, there, there is the sort of... There's lots of stuff, shots from a very, very low angle upwards, particularly with buildings. Yeah. And then whilst inside the building, you get the bird's eye view of things to kind of sort of make people look smaller than they are. But like you said about with George C. Scott, it's that idea because he's a big imposing bloke. Yeah. Big imposing bloke. But then it's that idea of him then, no matter his size or his ability to intimidate or any of those things, that's all stripped away from him the second that it is him versus the Gemini killer. Yeah. Because he can't do anything. He can't intimidate him. Um, he doesn't quite believe what's going on until it shows up at his front door, which is a brilliant scene, which is just absolutely mind-blowing. Um, but it's that idea that, like you said, he is so big, he is so imposing, but then they get to take that away by... Yeah. You know, because in those scenes, um, when the Gemini is sort of, um, is the because he's got these long monologues. Georgie Scott doesn't say an awful lot; he's no. just sat there. Um, and fair play to Brad Dourif, the, they are he delivers everything in them. It's a brilliant performance. Yeah, it's brilliant. And when he go when he loses it. And he's screaming, oh. I am not dead. And then brings it back by going, oh, I'm sorry, I'm ranting. But I am yeah, insane. He's, he's, he's kind of, he's a, he's a complete madman. Yeah. And his transition from jovial to complete rage. Yeah. Uh, to kind of almost remorse. In a kind of tongue-in-cheek fashion. Yeah. 
and it, and he just moves through those um, deliveries. Yeah. Just just flawlessly. And it, it's it is the gear shifts that he, between his character that that sort of there's a stillness and he's always there's always one there's always one tear running. If yeah. you notice, whether there's always one tear just running, and the sort of like, what I do love as well is the nods. Did you pick up on the nod to Child's Play? Uh, I didn't. I did the, not. No, tell a, me. Tell me. There's a great line. There's a moment in it where he says to him, "Well, how do you get out here?" And he says, "It's me a Child's Play." Oh, nice. You know, which is, you know, in terms of like, I think in the hands of any other director or or anybody else. That would have been wink, wink. Yeah. But it's done so quickly and so effortlessly. You just kind of go, oh, he just, did he just? Yeah, he did. Oh. <laughs> well, I had in my notes, I have in my notes, should I say. Um, so William Peter Blatty is, was a, a comedy writer, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Pink Panther films. And he uses that skill and that experience to such great effect in this film through the dialogue. There's no slapstick or anything. It's all dialogue-based to provide us with light relief, but also as a way to set up the next thing. Yeah. So you're so relaxed in this film at times because the dialogue... And the humour is so great. Yeah. And then you go to something utterly horrific. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, fuck me, that's just come from nowhere and slapped me around the back of the head. Yeah. And thought, oh, you thought this was a laugh riot, did you? Yeah. Well, let's talk about impaling people's eyeballs. Yeah. Well, like, you know, <laughs> that, is, you know that is very, very, that, that, that's spot on. That's absolutely spot on. And I mean, that's, you know, when, 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 the you know when the the Gemini killer is is ranting and he's saying I rip I cut I mutilate the innocent and like he is inside with us and he'll never get away that is just excruciating and that's just delivered yeah. directly to camera yeah it is directly at the camera and it's so unsettling so you know in fact I had to turn the tally down. I had to turn the telly down. I'm very, you know, I'm fairly immune to things, by, you know, at this point. But I did have to turn the telly down because it's just like, oh, that's that's a bit, that's that's quite heavy going. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it doesn't pull any punches no. on what it's describing no. in this film. If you, I mean, if we just think about the killings that happen, like, People who are injected with oh. a drug that I'm not going to try and say, and yeah. it leaves them paralysed but alert while they're then mutilated. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, before before being decapitated. Well, the fact and... that they can't scream. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know because. Uh, there's very little violence that occurs on screen. Yeah. There's basically, um, I think Kinderman couldn't, 
you know, with his backhand. Yeah. That's the most physical act. That's the most physical act of violence we see, isn't it? And Father Morning getting uh, sort of almost oh, yeah. burnt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, stuck to the roof and, and, yeah, melted. Yeah. But actually, whenever these murders occur, including, you know, the young boy at the beginning, the priest, um, in his confessional. Yeah. Uh, Father Dyer. Father Dyer. Um, the nurse... And yes. you know the other nurse. Oh yeah, the nurse. Yeah. Oh, so that is just that bit where um, the the police officers explaining to Kinderman what happens. Yeah. And he said she was split down the middle. All her all of her organs were removed. And then she was filled up with other materials. Yes. And there's just that pause from Scott and then he just goes other materials and when you're watching it you're like I don't want to know yeah <laughs> no don't take me through this yeah I don't, I don't want to know yeah I don't, the... don't want to know yeah I mean I think we have to talk about um and I think it is probably I think it's one of the greatest jump scares in the history of film um and it takes it's a five-minute setup yeah. for that jump scare. And what I love about it is the camera is almost perfectly still the entire time. It's a phenomenal shot. It's and like, And again, it goes back to the understanding of mise-en-scene, the, the understanding of what is in the frame. Because yeah. the nurse is wearing a card, wears the same red cardigan, which yeah. makes her stand out against that white that 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 very sort of um sparse background of the hallway and it's all shot with a with a long lens and the camera doesn't move and you've got the police officer then wandering around in the background so you get this idea because i think with a good jump scare it's all about misdirection yeah it's 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 all about misdirection it's about sort of look what's in this hand and actually it's over here because we see the police officer there, it's like, oh, there's a copper there. We're safe. We yeah. know that that's there. And then we keep hearing these noises. And so she goes to check the room. And then we get a jump where it's somebody who's sleeping in the room. And you think, oh, that's it. And then she goes back. And it's all done from a distance. And, you know, if you think about sort of most jump scares, now, they, they tend to use either a medium or a close-up shot to bring you into it. But this is yeah. done from a distance, so we're almost detached. So we're almost sort of like it's it's kind of like a nightmare, isn't it? Where you are yeah. frozen in spot and you have to watch what's happening. And then she goes into the one room, she comes out, locks the door, goes one way, and then suddenly this you know, this thing in white appears with a massive pair of fucking gardening shears. Yeah. And it's cut. Yeah. But it cuts to a headless statue. Yeah. Just to give us that. And it, and it takes us right back to those visual re- representations. Yeah. Which are, do- which are dotted throughout the film and used to such good effect. But I think as well in that scene, we get the, um, we get the false scare, don't we? Yeah. You get the fake. When she goes to, 
to look at the glass of ice. Yes. And the guy goes, he's fucking raging, that guy. He needs some sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Say that, mind you. If anybody who's ever spent any time in hospital, where they come round and check your temperature and check your blood pressure, whilst, you know, it's difficult to sleep in a hospital anyway, but you've just yeah. dozed off. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, yeah, man. poor nurse Keating. It's yeah. um it, it it's just it is it's 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 it is brilliant and it's beautifully done. Um Yeah. And you know and again there are you know it's it's very everything stripped back. We're not having massive flourishes here. What we've got is just really, really good visual storytelling. Really, yeah. really good simple visual storytelling. Um and then we go to the, you know, which is in kind of sharp contrast then to when the um, the eld, you know, the elderly nurse just appears at the house, um, yeah. and the mother-in-law before, saves the day. But before we before we get to that, so he kind of susses out what's what's going to happen. He kind of pieces together bits of what's been said to him, doesn't he? Yes. Um, and all of a sudden, he he links. Uh, going to the dance with his daughter, yeah. who goes to dance class and stuff like that. So he, I just love that scene from beginning to end because it's so realistic. He is a senior member of the police force, yeah, and he and he, he bursts out of the hospital, and the nearest um, policeman that's there is just like I don't know what it's called. I'm going to make up a name, but it's like Bobby. Let's go. Yeah, but Bobby doesn't utter any kind of protest you know it's just like let's go they jump in and yeah. they fly you know you know he's ha- absolutely hammering it only to be hampered by a driver driving what type of vehicle oh a uh, B- it's, a, it's a bmw yeah i nearly said audi then because he's <laughs> <laughs> just like get out of the way um but yeah, it just and then they get there, don't they? And it's yeah, everything seems fine. Yeah, and and then she's just she's sat because it's another misdirection because you're expecting a somebody's been beheaded or there's a horrific scene. Yeah, and you get there and, and she's just sat there, quiet as a mouse. Yeah, and then she's obviously possessed, and she says, "Doesn't she?" Um, uh, I wanted you to see this. Yes. Um, and yeah, and then as you said, it's it's mother-in-law to the rescue. Yeah. Which in itself is a genius bit of filmmaking. Oh well, it's brilliant. But then it's it's also what I love is the fact that the mother-in-law calls her Pocahontas, <laughs> and then she actually grabs her by the braid and pulls her out of the way to save her yeah. life. And you know, and it's just how close. That she is what well, you know were to, to like lop it off, and then she just hammers that copper across the room. <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And of course, the only thing that stops them killing everyone is the the, the fact that Father Morning shows up. Yes, um, which kind of breaks the spell. Um, and like, what's really really interesting 
is you got Jason Miller sat there and he delivers a brilliant line, a brilliant line about the morning arriving, uh, and he asks him to step into the night. Yeah, which that is, is genius. That is just and I, obviously Jason Miller's voice is sort of completely you know it is really raspy anyway yeah um and he just delivers it so well just so well um and it's just so well lit um you know the the fact you've got those two beams of light that are coming in the heart it's just it's stunning it's just stunning absolutely fantastic and i love the fact that they you know they even fake us out with the nurses because you think yes. that you know, you know, the one, you know, the sort of the wiry-haired, sort of fairly, you know, acid-tongued nurse is going to be the um, is going to yeah, be the you, killer, but she's yeah, not. You think she's the, she, yeah, you think she's the, uh, you know, like the, the the slave, yeah, to the to the master kind of thing. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I've I've got her as bitch nurse in my in my notes because nurse Allerton. Um, yeah, because he's uh, he says to her, doesn't he? you know, he says something to her about her, like about her manner. Yeah, and uh, and she just goes, "I'm a bitch." Yeah, <laughs> just, <laughs> just deal with it. Just deal with it. But that's what's quite interesting about this. About is the characters don't necessarily have to be likable. No, because at times, and I don't know whether it's George C. Scott's performance because he is doing the sort of Al Pacino-y shouty thing at times. Yeah. Doesn't always come across as the most likable. No, he d- but you still he, kind of root for him. I think he doesn't like his squad, does he? No, not That's at all. He's kind of um, he's seen it all. Um, it's kind of I've seen things you people would believe. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and they they're a bit lax. You yeah. know, the he he wants them to be better. I think it's just like. You know, kind of book your ideas up, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 just had enough, aren't he? He's he's done. He's I mean, I, I I don't think his faith is waning only in in you know in religion. I think it's well, it's everything, isn't it? Everything, yeah. And it's like he talks about at the end. He talks about I believe in, um, I believe in evil. I believe in good. I believe in justice. Um, and and he, you know, he talks about the sort of all the stuff that he, um, that he sort of gets, you know, that he's, you know, he, he sort of, you know, I say, I believe in the slime and the stink and the crawling yeah. and the putrid thing and every possible ugliness and corruption. And then he finishes it off with "You son of a bitch." Yeah. <laughs> What's really interesting is apparently that George C. Scott and William Peter Blatty didn't get on. Um, they had very, very different ideas about things, but both of them were the ultimate professionals and just sort of yeah. put it aside and got on with it. Um, and like George C. Scott at one point, because he was very much for the director's original vision, and when they were told yeah. that they had to put the exorcist exorcism scene in at the end, um, he said if it was down to the studio, they'd have Madonna show up and sing a song. <laughs> Which... I think when... No, go on. When you, get, uh, when you get to his, you know, his point in your acting career, um, yeah. he's not going to take any shit, is he? Yeah. 
he's oh, just no. gonna he knows when you know when to fetch the bone and when to you know bite the thrower yeah I mean, you know, in fairness to him, he's always been fairly um, vocal anyway throughout his career, which has probably hampered it more than anything else. I mean, you know, you look at like the films that he was in. I mean, you know, if we just think about sort of Dr. Strangelove. Yeah. It's just, he's he's amazing in it. He's totally unhinged. Totally unhinged. But he's brilliant in it. Um, Yeah. You know, um, Patton, um, when he played General Patton, it's a brilliant yeah. performance. Brilliant performance. Yeah, the Changeling. Uh, the cha- now, The Changeling Unbelievable. is... It's a great film. It's a great film. Um, and then this again, you know, because he is... he, You know, he's pretty much in every scene. Yeah. He is pretty much in every scene. And... I don't know if today they would cast such a sort of an older actor in such a part. The, I mean, the the age of this cast, I don't think there's anybody like under 40. No. In the, apart from like a couple of the nurses, but... Yeah. The majority, and would you get a film like that now? I don't, I don't think, think you, you would. would. No, I don't think you would at all. I don't think you would at all. And I think... I think it's all the better for it. Yeah. You know, it, it makes... It makes this film more believable. It yeah. makes... You know, because we are dealing with some fairly out there things. I mean, the fact in the opening moment, the you know, a statue's eyes open up. Um, we get in one moment, one scene, one of the, like, the, the statues. Um, there's lightning... And in that flash of lightning, the statue is like suddenly got like a clown's face and is holding a dagger. Yeah, the Joker. Yeah, the um, <laughs> the dream sequence itself. You know that that dream sequence is. You know, if you think about it, you got Patrick Ewing there, who was one of the biggest basketball stars of all time, not yeah. saying anything, just glaring. Um, you know, you you know. For fuck's sake, you got Fabio playing like the Archangel Gabriel. Um, it's. I think in that scene, there's a little bit of um, inappropriate comedy to, to Father Dyer. Yeah. Talk, talking about time is short. <coughs> yes. Um, and then you've got the two car, the two like short guys carrying the clock. Yeah. <laughs> Did you make that connection? Yeah. I, I it's, like, just, it's just sunk in now, actually. Yeah. Because <laughs> he talked about time being short quite a lot. And mm. you're like, is that, oh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm reading too much into no, it. No, actually, you know, think... what's, what's really interesting, actually, when you talk about, like, um, time, there's references, again, to Shakespeare in this. Shakespeare was um, obsessed with time. It appears in all of his work. Yeah. Um, there's a great line in this that uh, Brad Dourif talks about, you know, what, what the Gemini killer talks about, what he says about his love. He, he loves plays. loves the yeah. And he talks about his love of um, Titus Andronicus. And he says that was sweet. Um, and, of course, the ending um, to Titus Andronicus is the general Titus feeds um, the offspring um, who have uh, raped and mutilated his daughter 
to their family. <laughs> he bakes <sighs> them a big feast. It's like it's it, it's a great play, uh, Titus Andronicus. It is just so mean. It's really mean spirited. Um, but not yeah. So not sweet at all. No, no. Um, but like even in that dream scene, do you notice like the music? It's quite tranquil, but is something just quite just a little bit off with it? Yeah, yeah. It's um. It's it's all about that key change, yeah. So you can you can take pretty much any piece of music, and if you if you change the key that it is played in, it very much changes the meaning. Yeah, and uh, they've nailed that really well because it is just a bit. It's that Beatles song, isn't there? I can't remember which one it is. John Lennon says. Um, it says about the the, the tone. I'm losing it. I, I won't continue. But it, it is about like the the, yeah. the key being off and the words being right or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it's it's very much that you can you can change the feeling of music quite quite simply um, yeah. with a key change. Yeah. But speaking of music, and as you know, I am a lover of. Um, film music, yes. film scores. There is very little music in this film. Yes. And it's, um, it is the perfect choice to have made because it's this, the whole feeling of this film could have been changed with the introduction of a, of a score. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's just mind blowing how little music there is in this, considering some of the scenes that were presented with. Oh yeah, it's, I, yeah. I, I I I mean, I pick up on a real bravery from Blatty not to use music because music. It, I mean, it's just the way things are done. Oh yeah, completely. you know, on the whole, you've got your score, you've got your musical cues, blah, you know, um, and the. There just isn't any. Well, you know, I mean, he the brilliant scene where um, Kinderman has been notified about Father Dyer um, and, and the fact that he's dead, and you get that amazing floating camera, yeah, through the hospital, yeah, um, which in itself is just phenomenal camera work. I mean, if if Kubrick had done this, the oh, big God, yeah. rave, raving about it. Um, but what I love about it is as you pass all the officers, you know, doing the day-to-day, how they stop yeah. and and just push their respect to Kinderman. And like you said before, their relationships are pretty sketchy, but, you know, they respect him. Yeah. Might not like him, but they definitely respect him. Yeah. And that, and it, again, it's just using a scene really develop the story i mean we talk about this a lot don't we you know a a lot of a lot of films that don't do so well make too much of trying to build the story when you can use really clever techniques to build backstory and and that's amazing but the whole moment of him traveling to the room there is no music no there's nothing and he Sorry, no, uh, no, uh, he 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 then 
you know, he spends time um, looking at the looking at the corpse, looking at Father Dyer. Uh, the grimace and the pain on his face is just a phenomenal piece of acting. Yeah. Um, and then they reveal the It's a Wonderful Life, and then there's a very short musical cue. Yeah. yeah. That just gives that kind of a bit of a hang. It's a, it's a punch. You know, very, uh, yeah. It's a punch. It's a one-two punch. And then we're soundless again, and you're like, so... I just think it's quite brave in terms of filmmaking. Yeah, I mean, the other scene that, you, that there is very little use of music is the, is the famous ceiling crawl. Now, yeah. if you think about how many films now use the ceiling crawl, yeah, it's like every horror film now at some point will either need somebody walking in sort of twitchy slow motion a la The Ring yeah. Um, or the spite, or the famous spider walk, um, or some kind of contorted thing. But actually, yeah. this is 1990, and we're getting this, this almost inside this total silence of there's no like creepy plinky plonky music going. You've just got this sort of like deranged elderly person crawling along the ceiling, totally unbeknownst. To everyone in the room, yeah, completely unbeknownst, it is just so chilling, just so. Yeah. Chill. And then he open, and then he looks down, and he sees the blood, and then he sees the bot. The, there's a dead nurse. Yeah, it's. And what I like about it is there's no payoff. No, no, it's not, not a massive it. setup. It's just like this is the Gemini killer. Um. Messing around. He's just playing. You know, he is just yeah. toying with... And the, and the smile on her face as she looks down at him. Yeah. Just sums it up. You know, I am, um, you know, I mean, I'm the boss here. You, yeah. know, you know, you haven't even clocked this, but the whole, um, everything that's done in... Um, in that scene, in that area of the hospital, um, Blatty learned a lot from the ninth configuration to make that work. Yeah, I mean, I have not seen that in years. I need to go back and watch it. Yeah, definitely rewatch it, and you'll see the similarities between the two, the two areas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's really interesting about this is. It had a budget of 11 million and it made 44 million worldwide. I mean, yeah. which is, which is, it, which is, you know, in comparison to the original, but again, it's not, you know, the original is the original and it stands by itself. Um, but it was considered, you know, it was considered a flop. Yeah. Which, yeah. you know, 44 million in 1990, you know, 1990s, not, nothing to be sniffed at. It's, it's a success, and um, I think it hadn't had... I mean, I remember like, The Exorcist came out before I was born, yeah. and I think I watched it when I was about I was about 12. So the film was about 14 years old then, mm. and it was still hyped. It was still, you know, you got to an age... 
that was the film, you know, where do you watch it? Are you going to watch it? I bet you don't watch it. You know, you're not going to watch it. Are you? Do you know what I mean? It was yeah. like, and just to hold on to that reputation for so long, and there were stories around it being banned and people fainting in cinemas and having heart attacks and yeah, all that kind of thing. I mean, that's how you that's how you make shitloads of money out of a film, isn't it? Oh, if it's God, got yeah. a whole, you know, if it's got its whole own backstory. Oh, absolutely. Um, there'll still be kids today who go and, you know, well, they'll, they'll pay to stream it, won't they? If it's yeah. not a bit, oh, they'll... Do you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, it's The Exorcist. I've heard about that. What's really interesting, so, you say that, is there's uh, a group of my pupils in media, because I bang on, on about uh, The Exorcist all the time, actually got together and watched it. Uh, oh, yeah. Which is like, I'm, you know, hats off to you for doing so. But it's... Yeah. You know, that... It's a, it's a funny thing, isn't it? It really is a funny thing that we, we, you know, we are talking about this film now and just saying, just heaping praise on it. And yet it has gone totally, it's, you know, 1990, this, you know, this came out and it's like, like we said right at the start, almost forgotten about. Yeah. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Now, did you know one of the darker facts about this film? I don't think so. Some really creepy trivia for this. Creep me out, creep me out. A very famous serial killer rated this as his favourite film of all time. Which one? Jeffrey Dahmer. Oh, uh, Dar- that is creepy. It came up in his trial, um, and Dharma claimed that he identified with the Gemini killer, and he would play the film for his victims before he killed them. Um, and one of the survivors, Tracy Edwards, um, who testified, said that Dharma would rock back and forth, chanting at various times. Um, and he um, particularly enjoyed the sequence with um, uh, with oh, with Karis. The fact that Karis was when he was on screen and when he was possessed, because Dharma, you know, even went out and bought yellow contact lenses to wear. Oh no, that is creepy. Now I'm creeped out. That's deeply disturbing. Yeah, <laughs> that is deeply. Deeply disturbing stuff. Yeah. Um, he was also a massive admirer of the Emperor from the Star Wars films as well. Oh, wow. That's another, <laughs> that's another level. Yes. <laughs> we all want to shoot lightning out of our fingernails. Well, it comes in handy some days, wouldn't it? It would come, hand, yeah. come in handy. When um, the generator won't start. Yeah. <laughs> Bzzzt. Be a bit of a nightmare if you got a bit, if you get a bit <laughs> static on some days. So, uh, gratefully, RAC, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've got this. So, before we start wrapping this up, is there anything that we've left out? Um, we usually do a pretty good job of these things. Yeah. Um, 
I did. Uh, I did want to mention that when uh, Kinderman is walking around the hospital, um, he does fail to notice the decapitated um, statue. Statue of Christ. Yes. And, you know, before he's made the connection with the hospital and that being, because he, he goes in to see Dyer, doesn't he? Yeah. And um, they don't yet know that this is the you know the origin of evil. Let's call it. Um, and he's walking around the hospital and he just, you know, so I said, misses the statue, the headless statue. Well, what a terrible police officer. Yeah. Um, As detectives go, he's, he's, he's the less observant. Yeah. Yeah, he's thinking about the carp. Um, <laughs> I think, um, yeah, I think we have pretty much... Just, I'm just quickly running over my uh, my list, which isn't much fun for the listeners, so I'll try and do it quickly. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, we could get to your to your segments because I've got I've got notes for the for the segments. Um, but what I would say is, um, what we said about the music, which I think we both agree works, or or lack thereof, um, works brilliantly. In this film, yeah. Do you know who Blatty was in conversation with about directing this before he decided to? It was John Carpenter. Go in... Yes, it was John Carpenter. So, which, which in some ways, as much as I would, I think it would have been really interesting to see Carpenter do this. I don't think he would have been the right person for it. Thing is, it's one of those situations where. If you could have both, yes, please. Yes. Um, but if you could only have one, I would keep it as it is. Oh, absolutely. Because I think we could end up in like the situation that they found later on down the line where they did Exorcist Dominion and then Exorcist The Beginning. So you got the, the Paul Schrader cut and then you had the... Um, Rennie Harlan cut. Ah, uh, okay. That's right. Rennie Harlan. <laughs> Say that again. Rennie Harland made the prequel yeah. to The Exorcist. <laughs> it's, but, I mean, if Carpenter did it, it would have had a, a you know one hell of a score. We know that. Oh, God, yeah. Um, which I'd probably now have on vinyl. But <laughs> I just think... Um, for me, like I said, for me as like a, a, a soundtrack nut, I, I just love that it hasn't got the music. Yeah. So ballsy it is. And, and I, as much as I love John Carpenter, I mean, he's a phenomenal director. Oh, I yeah. think Blatty made a, a, a great decision. Oh, and, and probably in the... What was what was Carpenter doing in the nineties? I mean, this isn't oh, this isn't Halloween, John Carpenter. This isn't the thing, John Carpenter, is it? This no, is I think you know. Ghosts on I, Mars, John he's, Carpenter. He's creeping towards Ghosts on Mars. Um, he's yeah. I think we I think we were about to get, or we just had Prince of Darkness, or okay, uh, Mouth of Madness, maybe. Um, but yeah, we're not. He's not creeping towards like his. Uh, so they live was eighty eight. Um, 
Yeah, so he's kind of... Yeah, he's he's just about to peak, I think. He's just, yeah. he's just past it now. He's just getting there, you know? Yeah. And... So well... Yeah, well done. Well done, Blatter. Yeah. I mean, I love... Don't get me wrong, I absolutely love John Carpenter. He is, an, he is a hero of mine. Without yeah. a shadow, you know, he is a hero. But, you know, Escape from L.A. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, it's got Bruce Campbell in it. Kind of, yeah. Um, you know, Ghosts of Mars. There's part of me that does kind of like it. Um, but you... It's not perfect. And, you know, I think he kind of realized at that point that he needed to, he was going to step back from it. And I think he's in a really yeah. good spot now. Yeah. Um, he always, yeah, phenomenal now. He's influencer. He's an influencer now, isn't he? Oh, yeah, completely. Completely. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I think his stuff that he did on like Masters of Horror were really good when he popped up and yeah. did a little bit there. I thought that was great. Um, and I, yeah, and I'm, a, I'm a massive fan of body bags. Yeah. It's Rightly just, or wrongly. Yeah. I, I just love it. But, it, yeah, I don't... It, I think Blatty's vision and just, just smartness just sort of comes through. It's sort of... It, it's, it's there. It's his... You know that this is a William Peter Blatty film. This you know this it's got his fingerprints all over it. Yeah. So, what what worked for you in this one? Um, I'm gonna grab my notes. That was notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've just remembered something I was gonna I was gonna mention as well. Ed Flanders. Yes. Uh, Father Dyer, phenomenal. Oh God, when yeah. You, when you look at his resume, he's a, he's a TV actor. Yeah. He does television shows and the, um, many, many television, straight to TV films. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and famously, I wasn't elsewhere. Yeah. And I, I wasn't familiar with him. Um, and he was so good in this that I thought, because what I do often is when I like a performance in a film, I'll go on this unknown website where you look up films and um, just think like, what else of those should I be watching? Mm. And I like to kind of pitch it around the same time as the film that I've enjoyed. Yeah. Um, it's done nothing. <laughs> you know, it's just done. And I think, you know, either complete look or genius, you know, cast it, but he is phenomenal in this film. Yeah. Yeah, his um, his his delivery is just is is great, and my like my highlights for this, or what works kind of thing is just the 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 relationship between Father Dyer and Kinderman, and yeah. the and the and the dialogue therein, and the humour is just, I mean. Everybody loves the carp story. Oh yeah, I mean it's so good. Yeah, but I don't even I don't know if um, Ed Flanders and George C. Scott were actually friends, but it looks like they p- 
probably known each other for years. Yeah, yeah. And and then you could just imagine that they haven't, and this is just them being, you know, utter professionals. Yes. It's just so, and it's light relief, but it's so heartwarming. It's a genuine relationship. It's just, it's phenomenal. And where it really pays off, and we all know as, you know, Big burly blokes. <laughs> he goes to he, go, he goes to visit his mate in the hospital. Yeah, and he can't and he can't ask him. You know, how are you doing, mate? I'm you know a bit worried that you're in hospital. Yeah, he has to he has to just give him a load of shit. Yeah, yeah, and and they argue about the papers. Yes, and, yeah, and there's that great line where he's coughing and he said, "I thought you said there was nothing wrong." He said, "Oh, it's fine. My brother had the same thing." He's like, "Your brother died at thirty-eight or something." Yeah. yeah. And then he said, "Yeah, but he was shot in Vietnam." <laughs> George C. Scott goes, "But it might be related." Yeah. And it's just genius. Yeah. And for a for a film where you get really visceral descriptions. Of yeah. murders, of mutilations, to go to that kind of exchange. It's it's like it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it just really is. I mean, um, he's um, he's also uh, you know Ed Flan is also brilliant in Salem's Lot, the the TV yes, movie. He's brilliant in that. He's great in it. Um, but yeah, no, he, he, like you said, the the performance is believable. You get it, and yeah. you'd quite happily hang around with them just to see them give each other shit. It's, I think, the whole film where it really, really works is it's so believable. Even though it's a the subject, you know, is unbelievable. Yeah, but the. The world that it's set in is made believable by these phenomenal performances and, yeah. and dialogue and direction. Yeah, yeah. And there's time spent making you care about these things. And like the lack of yeah. music and things, you've got a director who is confident enough to just sit and let the dialogue play out. There's, you know, he doesn't need to sort of spin the camera upside down. He doesn't need to be cut in every 30 seconds to something and changing it. You know, it just sits and lets it play out, which yeah. is which is really, really brave. So what didn't work for you in this one? Um, I struggled to find much. I felt like... Um, Bitch nurse was a bit forced. Yeah. I that's me clutching a straw. She was a little bit OTT. Yeah. You know, there was there was like quite a few lingering shots on her with a scornful face, going, Oh, I'm bitch nurse, don't yeah. piss me off. Which yeah. was a bit unnecessary. But for me it's kind of more of a father mourning situation. Yeah. It's like, I don't understand why or how he just turned up to perform an exorcism. That is because 
the original script didn't have the exorcism in it. Ah, the, well, that makes sense. And the studio said, you're making an exorcist movie. We need an exorcism. And originally, Blatty was resistant, but the studio insisted. Um, so that entire finale, the, the entire exorcism, where sort of Karis comes up through the, seat, through the through the floor with the crucifixion and all those kind, that was all done later. That was all put in uh-huh. at a later date. And obviously, they needed something to trigger to trigger it. Now, Nicole Williamson is a brilliant actor. He is brilliant actor. Um, at times, like George C. Scott, could be accused of being a bit of a ham. Um, you actually, Nicole Williamson was in one of my favorite, and I think it's one of my, one of the most underrated science fiction films uh, with Mark Hamill called Slipstream, with Bill Paxton. Oh, I haven't uh, seen that. It. It's on the list. Really, really good. Really underrated. Um, I'll watch it, and we can cover it. Yeah, definitely. Um, but Nicole Nickel Williamson is, like I said, he, he's there for the sole purpose of that. Just they needed somebody to to perform an exorcism, and that's why he's he's there. Uh, okay, so allow me to read my note that I wrote whilst watching it for the first time, completely blind, before I did any kind of research. The exorcism feels a bit tacked on at the end. Yeah, we get there. We get there quite unexpectedly, and it gets a bit hammy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's so. It's interesting. So in the in the original vision, how how does it end? With Kinderman just shooting him. I just walks in and pow 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 pow. Not quite. They have this sort of like they, they're <laughs> just, just just sort of execution style. But no, he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, he does. Um, he, he shoots him. There is this this back and forth with them, and he he executes him. Ah. There isn't that. There isn't this massive exorcism to it, um, which is seems, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Which... It seems. I'll have to. I'll have to dig that. I have just. I have um, ordered the, the arrow. Blu-ray because oh. it's two disc, the two disc special. You shan't be um, disappointed, my friend. So yeah. So what for you watching? Because you've seen this, as you said, you, you've seen it before, but then forgot about it. For you now, how's it, what's what's working for you um, on the rewatch? Just and how, what's not? Just how beautiful it is to look at. Um, I think in terms of. If you want to teach somebody about things like mise-en-scene, if you want to teach somebody about how to how to make bold choices in terms of letting your actors just let the dialogue speak for itself. You don't have to... Sh- don't get me wrong, I love a bit of gore. Um, but you don't have to show it for it to be equally as disturbing. Yeah. Um, I think it's... I, there is just something about this film that just feels so classy. It just, um, I'm a huge William Peter Blatty fan. Um, I think he is one of the, one of the, the greatest uh, screenplay writers and he's written one of the greatest books of all time. Um, 
and I just, I just, you know, this is a great film from from start to finish. Just phenomenal, yeah. just a phenomenal film. Um, what doesn't quite work, like, I'm, I'm still quite, I, I'm still like on the fence. There's a part of me that obviously saw the theatrical cut first, and I still like that theatrical cut now. Um. But like there are times where you just think, did it re- you just want I just did it did it need the exorcism at the end? Did it need it? Um probably. Um and it's done really, really well. It's done really, really oh, yeah. well. It is done well, re- you know. It's not like yeah, one of those things where phenomenal. you just think, Oh, you know, it doesn't feel like you know, I think one of the best examples of like things being tacked on at the end is like in the episode of the Simpsons with Poochie where they kill him off. <laughs> I said, Poochie was an alien and his spaceship crashed on the way to his home planet. The end. <laughs> um, but it, you know, it does feel a little bit tacked on in there. Um, yeah. Um, so, so for me, the, the, I am a little bit torn between that and the director's cut, but actually I think probably on balance, I think the theatrical cut is probably a better film overall. Yeah. I may get pillared for that, but I don't care. Um, I th- yeah, I'll I th- report him after I've watched the directors. Yeah. Yeah. There is, there is something about this film, though, that whereas The Exorcist is just, is pure terror on so many levels, this is more of... For me, it's more of a psychological horror. Yeah. Um, it's a really, you know, there is that sort of idea that the emphasis is not so much on the supernatural. Um, because if you took all of that away, um, you still get a really pretty good thriller. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think um, controversially. Uh, especially when I'm talking to you, who probably has an exorcist tattoo somewhere. Um, <laughs> I haven't actually. It... Oh, it's well, come on. Uh, <laughs> I I think I, yes, the exorcist has stood the test of time, but I think this will be a better film for longer. Oof! Because those effects from the original are already looking a little. Kind of. I watched some scenes today on um, on YouTube, and uh, it's it's looking less effective. If you I don't listen, want to say believable. If you listen carefully, Mark Kermode is already on his yeah, way round your house to kick yeah, your door down, and it, it's coming. I can hear him. I can, but do you get what I mean? I though? know. I, I, yes, I do get. I, because this doesn't use anything like that. Yeah. Or there's no there's no time on on the mind. Yeah. For new people visiting this, but yeah. as we move further and further away, um, like I tried to watch Dark Star recently, I just, I couldn't get through it. Oh, Dark Star's a rough one. Yeah, and I've watched that in the past, and you know, thought it was rough, but all right. But we're we're changing, aren't we? We're yeah. getting. You know, things like 4K and Dolby Atmos and, and things like that. Yeah. 
Um, and then you stick, and it's you know people's. This may this may sound weird, but people's televisions, you know, in their homes, I get into such a high quality now that when you put something like The Exorcist on, yeah, those effects start to look even further away from being effective, don't they? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love absolutely love some of the releases that um, 88 films have done 101 films have done i think they're just they're brilliant but sometimes there are some films that you need to experience on a grainy vhs yeah without doubt because once things are really really cleaned up it's like ah okay that shit (laughs) but on that but on that grainy vhs there's something about it. There's something quite tangible to that feeling. Yeah, it's similar if you get like indie 8-bit games released now. Yeah. And you stick on, you're like, I want some scan lines to make this look and feel better. Yeah. Yeah. Because it just looks really blocky and shit at the moment. Yeah. No matter how good the story is. Yeah. Give me some scan lines. Yeah. Yeah. And we're all good. Absolutely. You should be able to do it on your telly. You should be able to put scan lines on your telly. Yeah. I'm sure something like are you that listening, your... Are you listening TV makers yes. out there? Put some scan line features on TVs so we can be retro. <laughs> so, <laughs> here we go. Scores on the doors. Where would you come in on this one? I think this is going to be my highest Wookiee score so far. And I'm going to go solid nine Oosh. out of ten. I, that's, that's great for me. I, I'm, I'm a little bit higher to nine point five. Oh, I was going to go nine point five, but I balled it. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't done Jaws yet. No, we haven't done Jaws. But <laughs> I can, I, I, I think it's fair to say that Jaws may be lingering around about the ten, or maybe. 15. Well, it is. It, it's, it's definitely going to be twenty-five. Yeah. But then you've got. <laughs> You've got to measure it accordingly below, you see. How far below is every other film? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Darren, my friend, thank you so much for being on. And uh, where can the good people find you on the interwebs? Oh, gracious me. What, what, was I raving? <laughs> Please forgive me. I'm mad. Um, I, I'm... I'm Still, yeah, still knocking around on, on Instagram, alt movies, uh, on Twitter, alt movies, Insta. Um, dropping a little review here and there every now and again when I have time to watch a film. Um, or on the Undead Wookie podcast, if you've yes. heard of it. You may have heard of it's it. Good one. it. It's all give right. It a, give it a listen. It's a cracker. Give it a listen. Once I get my arse in gear and get the latest episodes out, we'll be fine. Yeah, yeah try. Oh, but. I mean, we should tell the listeners about the lost episode before I go. Well, you know, we do have. Uh, I, I think the spooks may have got to us on that one. So, uh, the cursed Amityville episode uh, is the lingering. greatest episode ever recorded. Yes, and as a podcast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> At some point, we'll be able to sort of. Uh, I, I understand that somewhere in the in a sort of uh, Eastern European cave, there's a copy of it. Somewhere. Somewhere. So uh, I, I shall be making an expedition during the summer. 
Yeah, go look for it, man. You've got to find it. To the go retrieve it. Blood <laughs> Stammerville episode. <laughs> <laughs> Darren, man, thank you so much for being on. Nice one, mate. I'll speak to you soon. Uh, yeah, you will. Nice one. Ta-da, man. Ta-da. See ya. Bye. Okay, I want to thank Darren for his time. Thank you so much, man, for coming on. And thank you for being so patient getting that episode out. Okay, it is time for What the Wookiee Watched. And up first, we have got Touch of Death from 1988, directed by none other than Lucio Fulci. Let's check out the trailer. And now for a look at the local news. Rubbish collectors on the north side had an unpleasant surprise this morning when one of the containers they were collecting proved to be holding the remnants of a local woman who apparently had been mutilated and dismembered with a power saw. Good morning. What the hell are you doing here? Uh, well, I slept in here. It's a lot quieter than that building site, and uh, nobody wakes you up uh, getting rid of uh, dead bodies. Yes, oh, that felt good to be back. Like I always say, I love a good trailer. <laughs> now, Touch of Death is from 1988. Uh, it was written and directed by one of my heroes, Lucio Fulci. Um, the film was originally developed as part of a series of director video and television films um, titled Mastere del Thriller, or Masters of Thriller, uh, which had eight other films in the series. Uh, Lester Parsons plays a lonely gigolo who dates and kills off middle-aged women in ultra-gory fashion. That's a bit of an understatement. Um, And then, of course, as all gigolos who are serial killers do, um, he tends to cook and eat parts of them. (laughs) This is... uh, To say this is an un-PC film is a bit of an understatement. The uh, the kills are incredibly gory with and just over the top. Um, the plot hangs by a, a thread. Um, there's a touch of whether you whether it's supernatural in there or whether um, our you know Lester Parsons is going crazy. Um, it it has some uh, black comedy in there. There's a you know particular sort of weekend at Bernie's esque body disposal scene in it 
Um, there's an, an incredibly gory head in a microwave kill. Um, is Touch of Death Fulci's at his best? Absolutely not. Um, and, at the, you know, I think it's fair to say that some of his films are hit and miss. But even though this is clearly not up there with his best, it has really really good moments in it and considering it was made for television this is incredibly gory um it's a bit of a rarity you can find on 88 films in the italian collection um i really enjoyed this and it is well worth seeking this one out How, what would i give this one i'd give it a good six out of ten there's no two ways on that one so up next on what the wookie watched fear from 1990. Let's check out the trailer. Ali Sheedy is psychic. We need to know his destination. He's taking her inside. It's a barn or a shed. She solves murders with her mind. Stop him! She reached into the mind of mass murderer Leonard Scott Levy, author, psychic, Casey Bridges. Oh, God! The fear always belonged to someone else. I can't spend the rest of my life focusing in on killers. Until now. No! It's the killer's the shadow man. He's talking to me. It's just you and me and the fear. He feeds off his victim's terror. Feel it, Casey. It's the fear. And claws into her soul. Break away. I can't. For he knows what she fears. I think he's psychic too. And he's better at it than I am. Keep concentrating. Don't lose it. Best Run Video presents Ali Sheedy, Lauren Hutton, and Michael O'Keefe in Fear. Okay, that was the not-so-subtle trailer for Fear. Um, Fear, of course, came out in 1990. It was written and directed by Rockney S. O'Bannon. It stars Ali Sheedy, the brilliant Pruitt Taylor Vince, uh, Michael O'Keefe, Laura Hutton, uh, Keon Young, Stan Shaw, Dean Goodman, Don Hood and Jonathan Prince. Uh, the story follows psychic Case Bridges, uh, who helps solve police murders by mentally linking with the murderer. She then discovers a murderer with the same talent who wants to share the fear of his victims with her. Um, I remember renting this oh, way back in the day from the video store and it just having this really this awesome black and red cover. Um, this is very horror light. It's, you know, similar lines along like the sort of, uh, um, oh, what's the one with um, Lou Diamond Phillips? It was, we covered it a while ago. Um, oh, my God. Anyway, it'll come to me in a second. It will. First power. It was the first power. Yes. Fuck you, brain. Anyway. <laughs> um, yes. So uh, sort of psychic versus psychic murderer is the main uh, plot with this one. And I really enjoyed this film. It is 
it is like Dumb the Scares, but the you know the moments of um, when uh, Pruitt Taylor Vince's character is drawing Ali Sheedy into the murders and those kind of those scenes they're really really good um you know excessive use of blue filter but it works it works really really well and uh rockney s o'bannon does a great job and it's a shame he hasn't directed more um overall i think fear is a lot of fun uh, my only real issue with it is the pace drops a little bit in the middle uh like i said prewa taylor vince is excellent as always and ali sheedy delivers a, a solid performance the final set piece at the fun fair is excellent and like i said uh rocky s o'bannon did a great job with this um and i think it's a film that could have quite easily slipped over into farcical at times and uh, it manages to just just about hang on in there um, i really enjoyed it um, it's available on amazon prime at the moment and i would give this one a a 5.5 out of 10 so, ladies and gentlemen, our time draws to an end. I want to say thank you so much for everybody who's been so patient with the show. Um, like I said, at the start of the show, we're going to be uh, switching over to a monthly uh, format. And uh, I'm I'm looking forward to that because I'm able to be able to dedicate some quality time to the show. Uh, if you're that desperate to hear my voice, you can hear me every Monday night on Vitalize Radio. All you need to do is you can uh, type in Vitalize into Google and go to Vitalize Radio on there. Or you can say, Alexa, play Vitalize Radio. Uh, you can even download the Vitalize app. And uh, I'm on between 8 and 10 on a Monday covering movies. Uh, Monday Night Movies is the name of the show and I'm covering movie soundtracks and movie theme tunes. Uh, I'll be covering, you know, we've got uh, Hughes Cult Corner on there. So there's a bit of everything for everyone and a rundown of the UK's uh, uh, box office for that particular week. So thank you all for being incredibly patient. Um, I appreciate it all. Stay safe out there. Be kind to each other. And all that's left for me to say, in the immortal words of Count Duckula, good night out there, whatever you are.